What is happening with Supergirl this week? Black Knighting came back, The Flash, The Gifted, American Horror Story Apocalypse, Titans, even some Daredevil drop. There was a whole lot of geek TV all dropping around the same time this week. Hi guys, this is Joe, AKA the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I'm back again with my Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, AKA Curvy Geeky Fangirl recaps, where I basically recap all of the geeky things that I have discovered and uncovered in reality, just watched on TV or in theaters or through a book of some sort. And I talk about it week after week. Consistency. Consistency is happening. So as always, uh, you can find this podcast almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, definitely you can find me on Stitcher, Spotify. I am on iTunes, Apple, Apple iTunes. I think that's what it's called. Also, Google Play, and I believe something called Google Podcasts. I'm still too lazy to look it up, so I don't know if those are two different things or the same thing, but it's out there all over the place, all over the place. And I do all of this through Anchor, which is another way to listen to this. If you listen to this through the Anchor app, you also have the opportunity to send some verbal commentary my way. I'm just saying, it might show up on the show. You never know. You can catch me in these Twitter streets under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. You do have to get creative with the spelling. Uh, I think if you just search Curvy Geeky Fangirl, it'll come up. But also, it's basically all of Curvy Geeky Fangirl, but in Fangirl, you have to take out the A and the I because at the time, there was like a... You couldn't do all of the letters. You couldn't do all of them. I had to choose two to go. Those were the two I chose to go. And I'm also on Instagram. I got the website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I'm also a contributor for For All Nerds. All of the yadas, all the incidentals, everything will be in the summary and reiterated again throughout this podcast, just so you know. But yeah, so that's what I'm going to be talking about this week. I'm going into the return of Supergirl. I'm getting into Black Lightning, The Flash, The Gifted, AHS Apocalypse, Titans, and my initial thoughts on Daredevil. I have not finished the season of Daredevil. It dropped this weekend, which is when I'm recording. But, you know, so far so good. Uh, not so good, though. And quick geek news. The cancellation of Luke Cage. So it was on the docket. We knew it was coming. Iron Fist got the boot. I kind of, I'm not going to lie. I, little, I rejoiced a little bit in there. But now Luke Cage also has the boot. Unacceptable. But it's also fueling the rumor fire that Disney streaming or Disney play, as it's going to be called, is going to be picking these series up. So that might be happening. I do find it interesting, though, that Daredevil and Jessica Jones, nothing, nothing yet, at least. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So uh, I read somewhere, though, that the showrunner for Jessica Jones left to work with Warner Brothers. So... Jessica Jones may not be far behind, but, and that all happened this weekend. So boo, Marvel, Netflix, but also maybe yay. Maybe this means we're going to get room for better shows. I don't know how Disney is going to pick up these shows because it's definitely not going to get dark unless they're doing another streaming service just for that at some point. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out together. So all of that, all of that and more. So all the shows I'm going to be talking about, we're going to get into spoilers, heavy duty into spoilers. If spoilers are not your thing, catch up with these shows, pause it here, do what you guys to do, come back so that we can discuss, so that we can share these feelings with each other. 
because that's what this is here for. So I'm going to be talking about Supergirl right after this. All right, starting it off with Supergirl. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So Supergirl. I kind of like the chapter variation I did. It helps me organize my thoughts a little bit, as you guys probably know, that none of this is scripted. It's straight off the dome. So it's a lot of wandering in my talking. So the chapter has kind of helped me structure it. And that's what I'm going to do. So Supergirl, basically. Uh, we can break it down into the separate storylines that they crossed over into the episode. We had our main storyline with Supergirl. We had our main, we had another storyline with Alex and another storyline with Lana Lang. Uh, there were side bits with the villain of the week or the month or the series, but I'll get, get to that later. Let's kick it off with the random storyline from Alex because it was the shortest and one of those, why, why is this here? type of things so we get Alex she's back she's got a new hairstyle it's very fashionable and she's just kicking the shit out of people um for training purposes because sure so you know she's now taking over uh as as lead big charge basically um since John's left he stepped down as like the I don't even the commander the manager the the big person the head person in charge basically he stepped down gave it to Alex so now she is running the, the DEO and apparently this means just kicking the shit out of new recruits. So she is just going in town on the training with these guys and like showing them up femininity or no, femi feminist stuff. I don't know. She's just basically going to town. Um, specifically on this one white guy who kind of like laughs at something, I guess to show that he's a jackass and she promptly beats him up. So there, there we are. And then we quickly realized that Alex is getting into her transition as head person in charge and dealing with all the change, a lot of change. Last season, she went through the ringer, okay? Lost her fiance, the whole kid debacle. There's a lot of things happening. So she's kind of like, basically like have, has picked herself up since then, but is still kind of going through the movements of a lot of things. And then you've got Brainy. Listen, I love the actor who plays Brainiac. He's adorable. If you watched Being Human, the, the sci-fi show, which was the American version of the UK version of Being Human, which was a story about a vampire, a ghost, and a werewolf, which sounds like a bad joke. Actually, very interesting show. He was on that. He played Sally's brother. And he just has this talent for playing like quirky, weird characters that become endearing. And that's what he's doing so far with Brainy. I'm excited to see what they're going to do to Brainy. Um, obviously, this is the first episode back, so it's not going to be a whole episode devoted to Brainy. But I am interested to see where they're going with this right now. Right now, Brainy just kind of, com kind of comes off as clearly not from our planet um, and, and annoying. So he he's doing too much immediately for Alex. And she's just like, I need you to just, just go away. Like she gave, She tasked him with letting her know when the president was coming by. The president is being played by Linda Carter, a.k.a. she's really an alien posing as a human who's actually running America right now, but all in like cognito. So nobody knows that she's an alien. They just all think they voted for this woman president. Anywho, she comes and visits the DEO sparsely. So she has another planned visit to come see Alex and the gang just to see how things are running now that John's has stepped down. Brainy was supposed to let Alex know in like ample time when the president was supposed to get there so that she was ready for her and could greet her and yada, yada, yada. Instead, he lets her know like seconds before she comes through the door. So in the midst of her beating all of these new recruits, hilarious, hilarious interchange between the two of them. Um, we also get Brainy kind of going into action there. So there's a whole part, I want to say, 
Memory is foggy. This came out on a Sunday, on a Sunday or Friday or a Sunday. I don't remember most of it, but I want to say that Brainy came uh, to the rescue of, oh yeah, Supergirl. There was a whole part where a villain, villain of the week, some kind of trouble was happening and they needed to get to Kara fast. And the only person who could do that was Brainy. And he did it successfully. Oh, nope. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing where like the, uh, the brother-sister duo was trying to go and get a thing. I don't remember what it's called. An EMP? There you go. That's what it's called. An EMP. And they managed to stop Supergirl while also going after this poor man. So there's an alien who's running the lab at this particular facility. And in order to get into his lab, he's got to put the tusks on his arms into the sensors. So their best bet was, let's just cut these tusks off and put them in the sensors ourselves. Done. So they do that. Supergirl comes and they're completely prepared for her. They manage to get these handcuff things like around her feet, which automatically drag her down. She hits the ground. She can't get out of them. And that's why Brainy flew into action. He managed to get there, hack the handcuff situation or leg cuffs, I guess you could say, and free her and bring her back. But that's all the action we get with Brainy. So there's that. Um, but yeah, so Alex is dealing with her annoyance with Brainy because yes, he can do a lot of things, but no matter what she's asking of him, he's just not doing it the way she wants him to do it. And through the course of the show, we kind of see Brainy piece together what exactly is happening. We get to the point where the next time we see him, he's dressed exactly like Wynn. He's got a bunch of toys around him like Wynn would. And he starts talking to Alex and she's like, what the hell is happening? And he basically gives her his whole method of deduction. He's like, listen, I understand that, you know, we're all going through a type of change. We're both trying to get used to each other, but I couldn't figure out what it was about me that was particularly unhelpful or annoying you. And then I realized that it's not me. It's the fact that you miss when. So he kind of basically points out to her that, listen, you tripping and we both need to relax. So <laughs> and that's kind of how it ends with Alex's little storyline. She figures out why she's so upset with Brainy and how she can move forward with him. Uh, she learned some new, she didn't even come, she didn't even think about his feelings because she's Alex and she tends to get into like stone warrior vibe where she's just like kicky, kicky, kicky. I don't know what anything else is happening around me. So we see, we see that start to soften. And that's pretty much it for the Alex storyline. The Lana Lang storyline. Oh, no, it's not Lana Lang. <sighs> Lana. Lana Luther. There we go. Lana Lang. So anyway, the Lana Luther storyline is an interesting one. I mean, it's a countdown. It's literally a countdown until she becomes, she goes full Luther and just turns evil. And just turns evil. The show has been trying its hardest to be like, well, maybe not, guys. Maybe that's not going to happen this time. But we know it's happening. And it's been inching its way closer and closer all the time. First episode, she tried to like steer clear of it entirely, really try to distance herself from Luther. And to be fair, she had a mother who at the time was free to do whatever she wanted to take up the mantle of being like this crazy, insane person. Just trying to end Supergirl at all at all means. All the time. Cool. So she kind of could like offset all of her her 
darkness onto the fact that her mother was here. And then the second season, you know, with her mother put away, she had another mission to hide it all under and trying to help her friend. You know, the second season was all about how there's another Kryptonian or several other Kryptonians on Earth, yada, 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 cult situation. It was all about her trying to help her employee slash friend get out of this situation. So whatever means that she was taking to get that was justified. She she wasn't doing it for herself. She wasn't doing it to be evil. She was doing it to help a friend. But those lines get crazy murky, super, super murky all the time. And we saw that develop more in the second season. Now we're in the third season, first episode in, and we're already seeing her blur those lines even more about whether it's something that's actually beneficial and can actually help somebody else versus being completely selfish and just helping you. And we see that in the act she does for James. So Lana and James have been dating, I guess. I they, They're trying to sell us that they're a couple. So they've been trying to sell us this couple them for a little bit with them like kind of falling for each other, getting interested in the second season. And then I guess full on dating. Now she learned very quickly that he was guardian, like super, super fast that he had this whole alter ego situation going, <coughs> going on. Oh, excuse me. And uh, it pretty much put a stop to it, like almost immediately. Like the, the poor James, Jimmy Olsen situation and him being guardian was not long lived at all. It feels like they were like, oh, yes, we'll include this too. They're doing something similar on Arrow. Why can't we do it here? And then they quickly realize that's why we can't do that here. We can't randomly have this human uh, vigilante roaming the streets when we have all these damn supers running around with powers. Doesn't, it's not flowing as fast. It's not flowing as great. Especially when we have little time to devote to all of these characters and storylines And no offense to the show, they don't really know how to juggle all of that and the Kara storylines. So in the first episode, out the back, Guardian's gone. Guardian's gone. So basically the city is suing him, is coming after him for damages and the fact that he was a vigilante, just going around the streets, doing stuff. Vigilanteism is technically illegal in the real world. You can't just be like, and now I'm taking over this corner of my city. And people have to do what I say. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. So justif- justifiably and logically, the city's going after him for damages and the fact that he had taken up the mantle the way he did. So Lana, in her head, thinking that this is a way to help James, is like, ooh, I need to do everything in my power to like stop the prosecution from moving any further. James explicitly tells her no. Explicitly tells her it will figure itself out. I know you're trying your best to not be a Luther, to not be evil. So we will just handle whatever comes of this our way our, on our terms. And that's it. Cool, James. Thanks. Of course, she doesn't listen. We end up seeing her taking meetings with her mom. So she's visiting her mom at jail. And what seems to be like her, you know, giving out an olive branch to kind of reconcile with her mother is not that at all. She's been trying to get information on bigger villainous acts that have happened within the Luther stronghold in order to deter the DA's attention from James to these bigger these bigger fish, basically. And it works. So she manages to get a full conversation slash confession from her mom that she records illegally. She plays it to the DA. 
who's going after James and is like, well, this is a bigger fish. This is going to give me more, uh, more, more attention, more media attention and just be bigger for my career you know, overall. Dealsies. I will take this. I'll stop the James, you know, the James Guardian situation and just move it on from there. The fallback on that, A, her mom now knowing that she is like becoming more and more like a Luther, but also uh, we find out that if Guardian ever makes another appearance in the city, he's immediately going to be arrested on site and immediately charged and basically processed for everything he's ever done. So say goodbye to Guardian. It, we didn't really get to know you, Guardian. It felt like too much at, at a time where everything was happening already. Rest in peace, Guardian. We're never seeing you again. But this also lays, starts to lay down what I feel is what we're going to be dealing with for a lot of the season for this with Lana and, and Jimmy with the secrets and the lies because he has no idea that she pulled all these strings to try to help him. And of course, it's going to get thrown in her face. It's a, it's a CW drama. So there's that. There's the Lana chapter. On to the big chapter, which was the Supergirl storyline. We get introduced to the villain of the week, uh, potentially villain of the overarching series. It's a brother-sister duo who are portrayed as American First enthusiasts. They are heavy set against any kind of aliens in their in their world, in their world, let alone their country. So the the theme for this season seems to be about anti-immigration and xenophobia and what we're doing with that as a, as a country. Kudos to them though in the Supergirl storyline. We see a lot of the reaction that has happened in the real world when it comes to questioning whether or not, or basically just how bad things are when you're not white. So it did touch on that. We get a, one of the things I loved about it was the conversations between John and Kara, talking about the changes in alien sentimentality around them in just their local area. You know, John, since stepping down from DEO, he's been taking up a lot more don't want to say causes, but he's been mingling a lot more with his fellow aliens and how they are transitioning to Earth. And right away, we get this very young gentleman who is an Aquarian, I think they called him, you know, and he's super excited because now he's got this tech that allows him to completely transform his physical facade. So everybody will see him as just a regular human but he's actually you know an alien to disguise and he's super excited about it because he's not passing he's not a passing alien so he doesn't look human at all and he talks about the hardships with that with like trying to get jobs and just trying to survive in this world and dealing with a lot of anti-sentiment towards him and others that are like him that don't pass for human hint hint nudge nudge what what talking about our social structure right now so I thought that was really interesting. And I've liked the other uh, perspectives we got too. So that doctor we talked about with the tusks who got completely caught off. He's the first one to say like, listen, I too am an alien and I don't have to face these hardships. It could get better guys and quickly gets checked. And it's like, you look like a human. (laughs) You have the most human features out of the two of us, you know, between the Aquarian guy and this doctor. And he does, I mean, he's besides the tusks that he could easily cover. He's got pointy ears, but the way the way the Aquarian phrases it is that he just looks like he's an, a you know, huge Tolkien fan. Nailed it. Nailed it. Brilliant and beautiful. But points out to a larger issue of you may not be dealing with the these types of ugh, just exhaustive 
issues that others have to deal with, but that doesn't mean that their issues are any less or that they're not a problem and they are a problem. So we see all that. And then like immediately the next scene is this dude getting cut up, but here they're there. So we also figure out that Super, Supergirl figures out that there is a growing, like a shockingly large amount of people who support just eviscerating aliens freely and nearly. My favorite thing was her tapping into this phone conversation between a housewife who was trying to like pick up her son from school or something. And she was trying to use like a military grade weapon on an alien she saw. And she's like, I tried to use it and it didn't work. Like I need, <laughs> I need something else because these damn aliens just keep popping up all over the place. And just a look of horror on Kara's face. This is built up after her telling Jean over and over again that things aren't that bad. Things aren't that bad, Jean. What are you talking about? I'm an alien. I don't have to deal with any of your stuffs. Supergirl, I love that. A, Jean checks her and is like, listen, you pass. You." He tells her she looks human, which is code for a girl. You look like a rich white chick. You're just a white woman with blonde hair and blue eyes roaming around, not having to deal with too much, girl. Come on, let's be real. Meanwhile, other people who don't look white are dealing with all of the shit. So I love that he checked her and he did it in the John way. Not in a bitch you need to listen, but in like a, <laughs> like in a caring, disappointed father tone of just like, well, I hope one day you understand. And eventually she does. She, she realizes, oh yeah, this is a bad situation. And anti-sentiment is growing and it is growing at a much faster pace than I anticipated. And now I'm overwhelmed. Now I don't know what to do. I gotta give it to them with bringing that part of the reality into the storyline of a lot of people like starting to realize, oh shit, this is a bigger problem, but also not really knowing how to tackle it. Like what exactly can we do in this type of environment where you've got way more people than you ever suspected being attracted to hate groups or or creating their own hate groups, but thinking that it's not a hate group and thinking that it's something else like, no, I'm showing, you know, loyalty to my country. I'm not, I don't hate others. I just think I'm better. Like that kind of thing. So it was interesting. It was interesting to see all of that. Uh, There's not a whole lot to know about the big bad this season. I mean, we get a guy with a gold mask talking about how he's a, you know, an agent of liberty. Um, And if you watch Game of Thrones, we got those two. I don't think they want to call them like sons of something, sons of justice. Or sons of something's of crazy, but they also had gold masks, and they were like, "Ooh, we're doing this for our own country because they're trying to change things that we don't like." Uh, in that particular Games of Thrones episode, those people were slave owners, and they were like, "Why the hell are you taking our slavery away? How are we going to get things done?" So, yeah, no. So we see that, but definitely uh, the brother sister duo are going to be long term. It looks like they caught the brother in terms of their little mad dash to catch somebody. But the, the sister got away and she's the smarter of the two. She's cleared the brains of their operation. And she's working with this alien guy or we don't, oh, oh, maybe I spoiled myself. I don't know if he's an alien, but she's definitely working with a guy with a gold mask who's against aliens. They straight up kill one at the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, so they're touching on a, a lot of things that are happening right now. So I'll be interested to see how far this goes with Supergirl and touching on social issues that are happening in our real world, it can come across as a little kind of like well-meaning, but oddly put together a lot of times. But I'm interested to see where this is going to go. 
I'm not excited about the fact that they've moved to a completely different night. I want to say Sundays, Fridays or Sundays, something to have that nature. I don't even know what day they air. So there's that, but whatever. Oh, the other drop was that we now have Russian Supergirl also uh, to contend with. Was it last season or the season before? Maybe, maybe it's been a, a hint for the last three seasons. There was a clone of Kara that uh, some scientists had tried to put together and it was very much like Bizarro, where if you know anything about the Bizarro character from the Superman comics, he acts a lot like Superman, is not Superman type of deal, but it's kind of figured after him. So it was somebody's attempt to try to like duplicate him, goes terribly wrong, and they end up with, I don't want to say a monster, but with a being that doesn't have the same moralities as the person they were trying to emulate and doesn't really know how to deal with all the information they're getting at the same time. So it's like a, at a slower, at a slower uh, reception kind of situation. The Russian Supergirl doesn't, has never talked. She doesn't talk. She just kind of looks at things and squints a little bit and then shows her intense strength. Like that's really what we've seen so far. And then the last moments we got for this season, she's punching the hell out of a cave wall. So under a train. So She's going to factor in at some point. I don't know how she's going to factor in with the big bad. Are they going to overlap? Is it going to be like last season when we thought it was going to be one thing and then turn out to be another thing? Just kidding. It was that one thing. Just kidding again. It's the other thing. Like it, it got really confusing in the second season. So, or third season, second season, third season. I don't know how many seasons of Supergirl we got. Oh, there's four. Just kidding. So third season with it being crazy. So who knows, but I'm still excited for the ride. I'm excited to see what else they're going to do. What I would like to see from the show, what they're going to do with Brainy. Is Brainy, are they going to follow the comic book lore and make Brainy a love interest for Kara? Is Kara not getting a love interest, period, this season? Are we letting that all go? Are we going to get more Brainy Kara sessions? I just want more Brainy. If we can just get more Brainy, cool. I think Lana's going to go full, full villain before the end of the season, though. I think she's going to get rejected by Jimmy. She's going to get rejected by Kara. Uh, I think she's going to find out that Kara and Supergirl are the same person. And that's going to add to the hurt. And then she's just going to go full Luther. Luther. She's going to go full Luther by the end of the season. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'm going to be talking about the next show. Oh, I'm already lost. I don't even know what it is. Oh, here we go. With Black Lightning <laughs> right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, Black Lightning is back with their second episode. Did not disappoint. They're keeping the same momentum that they had with the first episode. So we're getting action. We're getting a lot of black conversations we're getting. There's a lot of things happening in Freeland. That's pretty much on Temple with the first season. So, so far, so good. Doing really good here. I'm going to break this down into character chapters like I've been doing. And I'm going to kick it off with the Jefferson chapter. We find out that not only does Jefferson have to step down as principal, he's got to step down as principal 
be a teacher and then embrace his replacement. And his replacement's going to be a white man named Mike Lowry. If you know the name Mike Lowry, you might have known that it's attributed to a character from Bad Boys. So usually if you hear Mike Lowry, it immediately brings up an image of Will Smith or at least Martin screaming that he's Mike Lowry, something to that effect, but not a white guy. So I feel like that was purposeful that they're gonna name this new principal Mike Lowry and have it be a white guy so that you're constantly dealing with that feeling of, oh wait, oh no. Oh my God. So kudos to the writing team. Also, that whole conversation he has with Robert Townsend's character, again, brilliant, again, brilliant. He's like, I don't know. He talks about having a shuck and jive. He talks, he refers to the new white principal as Master Lowry. He touches on the white savior complex that a lot of minorities have to deal with, black people, people of color in general having to deal with white people kind of stepping into these spaces and being like, well, I can do a better job. I'm just like, no. So they're doing a good job of showing the complexities of all of that. Because honestly, Jefferson didn't do as well as he should have being the principal of the high school. There was a lot more he could have done there, but he's balancing that with being Black Lightning and you can't do both is what he learned fast. And the school also learned fast because it looked like he was just a negligent principal for a little bit there. The long absences, like there, there's a lot going on. That being said, this new shift they're taking, this new direction they're taking, they know it's going to cause backlash. They know it's going to cause a lot of resentment and commentary, negative commentary by the families of the kids that go to this school because they love Jefferson Pierce. And um, we see that kind of go full circle in the episode. He's also dealing with Anissa. So Anissa is kind of coming more into her own as a superhero. She's starting to get a big head about it. I will get into that chapter for Anissa. But you see him like, on the one hand, trying to rein in a lot of what he wants to tell her, but at the same time, still looking as a father to his daughter, like you need to do, <laughs> you need to listen to what I'm telling you and you need to act accordingly. like. There's a reason I'm telling you all of this, like trying to balance all of that, but it's not, it's not working right now. Um, you also see him and Lynn kind of go at it. He's still not really happy that Lynn took up this job with the ASA to take care of these green light babies as they're calling them. Shout out to Static Shock. We all know they're bang babies. So, and it's become even more of that because of all the stuff that goes down in this episode, which I'll break into for Lynn's chapter. But basically he's doing with all of that and then dealing with the green light babies, dealing with the changes at the school, and still wanting to get revenge for his father by t from Tobias, like trying to go after Tobias. He's still like, we need to make that a focus, but there's so much, so many things happening at the same time for him. He's just trying to deal with like one thing after another. I feel like they'll give him more time to go after Tobias and to like really focus in on the superhero aspect of him being Black Lightning once he becomes a teacher, because then it's gonna free up his schedule a lot more as to what he's juggling in, in terms of his off time from the school. Cause if he's just a teacher, I mean, yes, he's still gonna be dealing with students every day, but he's not dealing with the entirety of a school every day. So we'll see, we'll see where that goes. But that's pretty much it for Jefferson. Into Anissa, homegirl is doing the most. So I didn't wanna admit this and my brother pointed this out last week that Anissa is just wilding out. And that, you know, first episode, episode back, I was like, yeah, I mean, yes, she's going after full on thugs and stealing money from them to give it to the church. But 
Like, this is not too far out of character for her. I mean, in the first season, she was like, I'm just going to start being a vigilante and went to basically a drag store and bought the most ridiculous like her outfit she could find. So she could just start fighting crime. Like, we saw that. So this is not out of character for her. But in this episode, we see her trying to juggle a lot more. They kind of tap into this conversation she has with her sister about romance. Uh, Jennifer points out that she can't really be a sage of advice when it comes to romance because she's not in a romantic relationship at all right now. And I guess that's enough, more than enough to prompt Anissa to be like, well, let me go ahead and just jump into one because yes, I have the time. That's right. So she's feeling herself as thunder. You see her literally high-fiving people uh, when it's her and <laughs> Black Lightning trying to stop the villain of the, of the episode, of the villain of the day. And um, she's, just, she's just taken on this persona of, well, of a lot of people who suddenly get a lot of popularity, become hugely successful in an endeavor of theirs. She gets a big head. She's getting a big head and she's, she's doing the most right now. And then to add to that, she gets into a romantic, romantic relationship with, a, I guess, a famous singer. It's somebody we've never, ever heard of and never seen before. And I Googled her. She's not like a, a huge singer right now either. She's an actress. So, but we see her and she just like, maybe this is how it works in real life. I've never been able to do this, but maybe it happens for people. She's listening to this woman sing. She's making eye contact. She's dancing offbeat to the song that she's singing and this is moving super fast for a song that is slow in tempo i don't know what's happening there but whatever but it's enough to get this girl's attention maybe that was purposeful she hooks this girl's attention they hook up there it's the next day they're at her mansion i will say and this is sleepwear attire the lingerie she's wearing which is basically panties and a bra pretty though pretty it was cute but anyway that aside so she hooks up with this girl they're talking a lot of innuendos and whatnot. And it's basically a situationship. So she's not really jumping into a relationship. This girl's not now her girlfriend or anything. But this girl's about to be like a repeatable fuck buddy. So we see Anissa doing that. But she's feeling herself on this. Like she's like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm trying to keep it as casual as possible. But I'm feeling this. So we'll see how this goes. Meanwhile... Uh, we start to see the falling out of these these irrational decisions that she's making. Because she's now decided to pursue this situationship with this girl, she's not as available as Jefferson needs her to be to fight the villain of the day. The 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 green light baby of the episode, basically. She's 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 busy or her phone is off or she's she's in somebody. So, you know, things are happening. Uh, but she gets kind of like, she, like you see her kind of like try to scold her dad. She's like, listen, you know, why didn't you call for backup? Why didn't you tell me we needed to do this? And he's like, bitch, like, why? It's what? <laughs> As a superhero, you need to be ready at all times. Like, it's not going to be a schedule situation. I'm not going to be able to give you like an hour's notice. Like, this, what are you doing? And then on top of that, uh, they kind of touch on how she feels controlled by Jefferson. Granted, he's a bossy bitch. He is. Like, he's got a lot of rules. He's like, you got to do a lot of this my way or nothing. He does do that. So you see that and it comes into play with the Issa character we deal with. He's another green light baby, but not the villain of the day. So, or a villain of the episode. So there's that. Um, but, you know, she kind of lets it out that she's tired of Jefferson always trying to be in her business and trying to control her. And he counters that with his own truth, which is that you've been a damn fool right now. And so <laughs> someone's got to check you before you hurt yourself or somebody else. So, but it's kind of left unresolved. So we're just going to let that grow and simmer, I guess, when it comes to Jennifer, or not Jennifer, with uh, Nissa 
and all of that. We also see a face we saw last season, but barely got to see last season. And we didn't know how it ended last season. So in the first season, Anissa had a girlfriend. And then all this stuff went down with her getting her powers. And uh, that fight went down, I remember, between, not between her and her girlfriend, but like they almost got attacked by some haters who were like, oh, you guys lesbianing. So, and then she faced them off and she beat them down. And then I don't know if the girlfriend got scared and they were like, okay, we're going to break it. Or if Anissa just ghosted her and stopped talking to her. I don't know. I'm going to go, I'm leaning towards the second one because when the ex sees Anissa, she's immediately hurt. She's immediately hurt and like tries to just leave the situation. And when Anissa finally catches up to her, she's like, she's basically like, I don't have anything to say to you because you don't have anything to say to me. So bye. Like she's very hurt. So, and Anissa's just kind of stuck there. Like, I don't, what happened? So who knows? Who knows what's going on with that? But we'll We'll find out more later, I'm assuming, at some point. I don't know. But that's pretty much it for the Anissa situation. She's just doing a lot. Eventually, she's going to get checked. This is very much building to her getting checked by herself. Like, something's going to happen. She's going to think she can handle it. And it's not going to go down the way she thinks she can. There's that. Jennifer's chapter, short and sweet. We're still kind of stewing in the emotions of, I have these powers. I don't necessarily want these powers. I don't know how to communicate that I don't want these powers other than how I've been doing it, which is being super scared of what I can do, trying to fight every fiber of my being every time my powers kind of activate themselves and hating, low-key hating my family for being okay with it. Like stuff like that. She's dealing with a lot of emotions. So we're still stewing in that. We also get a visit from Khalil. So Khalil, her ex-boyfriend, former bestie, comes back. Okay, the Khalil storyline is very confusing. So, I mean, in the first season, granted, we had a lot of episodes to kind of draw it up. And this is the second episode in, so maybe not that much is to be expected. But in the first season, they did a really good job of creating Khalil as this like go-to character for Jennifer. He was the he was a reliable standby. He was somebody that understood her. And they kind of grew into love that way. He was her best friend. He liked her. He didn't know if she liked him back situation. It was real cute. And then she was like, yeah, I like you back. And then they kind of got together. It was cute. And then he got shot. And then he lost access to his legs. And then he kind of spiraled. Anybody would. That's a huge change. I mean, he wasn't doing anything. He was just helping to protest. He wasn't even in the front. Dead. I mean, not dead, but legs dead. So there's that. Um, and then Tobias intervened. He handpicked him to join his effort. He, I think he got some of the serum that Tobias uses or tech, something Tobias offered him that gives him the use of his legs and super strength. I believe it's super strength or just super resiliency, something. He doesn't have like magic power, so he's not shooting stuff out of his hands, but he is strong and we see that. And he's an idiot. So we see, so Khalil comes back. He just shows the hell up and knocks on Jennifer's window like he used to. And she's like, what the hell are you doing here? And they kind of have a back and forth. And then in the middle of the conversation, she pushes him off the roof. This tells me she knows he would survive it fine. Like she was mad at him and she knows he'd be okay. But he he falls off the roof, lands on the ground, unhurt, wakes back up, jumps back on the roof. He's, he's fine. There's no problem there. But he's all like, 
upset. Why did you do that? Why did you push me off the roof? And she's like, nigga, like, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't get it together, ninja, please. So, but he's like trying to, I guess, trying to convince her that like they need to get back together or she at least needs to have him in her life or something. Cause he's like, I'm not like that. I know I did some crazy stuff before, but you know, it's Tobias and he's dangerous and he'll kill me if I don't type, like trying to shift blame. And she's just not listening to it. As much as I have my qualms about Jennifer, cause she is a moody teenager. I will give it to her that once she's made up her mind, she's nobody's fool. Like she's not gonna be like, well, okay. And like hem and haw and just be a victim. She's not gonna do that. So she's like, nah, no. No, like the whole time he's just talking to her. She's just like, no, no, no. Like, so <laughs> you need to go. And of course, in the back and forth, her emotions are starting to bubble. Her powers start to activate and she she turns her back, which gives her the added illusion of her just not caring about Khalil and wanting him out of her face. But really, it's just to hide the fact that she's starting to glow. But she's just basically telling him, you need to leave. You need to go. You have to go. I'm calling the police. Yada, 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 yada. And he finally takes a hint. She finally gets back control of her powers. But that's that was a nice little rough roller coaster there for her of a bunch of stuff that's already happening. So, so the you know the fire is continuing to get turned up. It's a matter of time before she explodes. We're just not there yet. So who knows? On to Lynn. Lynn is usually the person who I think is doing the most of the entire family. She does not. She's the weakest one. She's the weakest one. She doesn't have any powers. She doesn't know how to fight. Like she, she just has science. So, and I mean, science can be powerful, but you need time. Like you need, <laughs> you need time and planning. That's part of science as well. And when you have somebody attacking you, you don't always always have the other elements to get that together. So in the Lynn chapter though, the most stuff is happening. So she's, she got Gambi to pull some strings for ASA. She's running things for the green light baby lab that's happening she's checking on these kids with the pods we get an accident happening in the pod area so somebody's doing their random check or i guess regular check to make sure all the pods are stabilized it looks like everything's stabilized and then clearly something is not stabilized one of the kids wakes up and he starts vomiting what looks like to be electricity but could be any type of energy it's enough to shatter his pod he breaks the pod in the process, killing the poor scientist guy that was with him. The scientist guy was actually her assistant in the first season. Still don't know your name though. And now you're dead, so. Not the most important, unfortunately. But kills him in the process and also dies himself. Like you see him kind of choke and he kind of grabs his neck and then he just passes out. But in the process of all that shakeup, uh, that hullabaloo, they also shook awake another green light baby. And it's a girl named Wendy. So Wendy apparently is one of the long-standing pod babies. So she's been in this pod for 30 some odd years. Let's do the math on that, everybody. Because at first I was like, ooh, the 80s. And then I was like, no. No, 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 no. Maybe, maybe the 90s. So if you go 2018, it might be 80. It's 88. So it's late 80s. So she was a kid back then when all this was going down. Uh, was a, Got spotted by ASA to be tested got stuck in that pod, has been in that pod ever since. And now she's awake. Now she's awake. They try to give us her perspective. So you see her like trying to clear her vision. Everything's kind of wavy or duplicated. Like she's seen doubles of a lot of stuff. And they also narrowed down her vision for some reason. So it's like tunnel vision on top of it. And of course she's freaking out. She woke up in a strange place. She's in a weird outfit. She's wet. 
She don't know nobody who's coming at her. And all of a sudden, wind is happening. (laughs) There's a lot of wind that just picks up. And she somehow figures out she's the reason the wind is picking up. So of course she wants to escape. She busts out of there and is just trying to find something familiar. Uh, We spend the episode with Lynn just freaking out about this chick. She calls Jefferson and is like, I need your help with the the latest green light baby that's awakening and running around in the city. And she's got complete power over wind. The, the Gamby says she has aerokinesis. Uh, and, and just by sight alone, apparently Lynn can tell that not only this girl having hallucinations, she's also on the verge of a psychotic break if she's not already having one. By sight alone. That's impressive, Lynn. So, sure. The sad story about the windy, the windy storyline is that as fast as it started, it ends. So... She, she just does a lot of wind things. Some people get in, get hurt in the process. Jefferson faces her, gives the whole speech of, I don't want to hurt you, ends up hurting her. He literally slaps sense into her. Like he, he busts her with lightning. It's enough for her to knock her head into the ground. And then when she wakes up, vision is cleared. <laughs> Apparently psychotic break phase is done. It's dumb. It's dumb. And then Wendy decides it's safer for me to just get back into the pod. Like she gets the full rundown by Lynn. Lynn also gives it to Issa, the other character, the other green light baby that we've been talking about. Uh, so he's the kid that died in the first episode. We, that's how they kicked off the first episode was the, was the police murder of this child. He's the kid that died and then woke back up and is now like has the ability to get people to tell the truth when he looks at them. He, uh, Lynn ends up having to... I don't want to say question him, but basically like get more information out of Issa because her expertise is supposed to be these green light babies and ASA thinks that he could be a threat and she's dealing with her favorite agent ever. I find out his name is Percy O'Dell. Who knew? Played by Bill Duke. Billy Duke. Uh, Billy Duke is treating this kid like a uh, terrorist. He's got him sitting in a room with his hands bound behind him and a bag over his head. And Lynn is like, what the he- What is happening? And he's like, fine, you take care of it. But no, this, if you can't, we will take care of him. And he just kind of leaves with an evil laugh. So Lynn is taking on Issa. She does the full Lynn mom thing and decides to like fully just bring him into the fold. She brings him to the house at the end of the day because she doesn't want him to be alone in a crazy looking agency lab by himself. Uh, And we learn more about his ability, but also not that much about how he's feeling. Like every time they show this kid talking to family or friends, they immediately start to freak out and talk about how they don't want to be around him and then leave him. Like a lot, like a lot. And he seems to be handling it fine, like no problem. So like he shows a little concern, like, yeah, I wish my parents were here to have this conversation with. But for the most part, he's just like, anyway, like just fine. He's okay. It's fine. Then we find out from Lynn that the reason these kids are in the pods and they established this in the last season as well. The reason for the pause, the reason they, they have to keep checking on the kids is because the green light serum, whatever this thing is that they put into these kids, it destabilizes them on a molecular level. So they die, they're dying. So they put them in stasis so they can figure out how to stop that from happening. So that's why Wendy decides to go back into the pod. Lynn gives her the full breakdown and then she also gives a full breakdown to Issa and is like, listen, we can put you in a pod, we can put you in a stasis chamber. So we figure out what's going on, but the way things are running right now, and because we don't have a lot of answers right now, you could be facing death and we don't know how long that will be. We can keep checking in with you if you wanna stay out of the pod, but if you wanna be on the safer side, get in the pod. 
And he's like, I'm going to stay out the pod. I'm not going to get in the pod. I'm going to try and spend what time I've got left with my friends and family, who, by the way, spent majority of the episode and the previous episode shunning this kid. And now they're fine. So at the end of the episode, when he decides to stay with family, we see a man we've never seen before, who we're hoping is some kind of relative of his. And the girlfriend or cousin or friend, the girl that keeps showing up, who cussed him out before just just minutes before talking about how she ain't trying to take care of no crack baby and now she's just like welcome on open arms welcome back isa i don't the storyline was weird but we got it so here you go there you go um and that's pretty much it on the lynn front it was just really weird i will say her outburst when isa is at the home and making everybody tell the truth I liked her outburst the best. Like Jennifer's going in about how much her life sucks and you see her snap. Like <laughs> Issa looks at her and she tells her full truth, which is that Jessica or Jessica, Jennifer is being a whiny baby and she needs to get over it and figure out how to fix it. Like that's, <laughs> that's truth, truth. But of course, whatever. So, um, and then what else? Oh, we got Tobias. Tobias didn't have a whole lot to do. I mean, we got to see him slap the shit out of Khalil at the beginning of the episode. You have you see a whole sit down with him and Khalil. The song Nature Boy is playing in the background. That's the jazz interlude that's playing. It's a really good song. It's a really good song. Uh, Nat King Cole sings it. And I call him Nat King Cole. I don't know if that's his name. It is. It's Nat King Cole. I wanna, why do I want to call him Nat King Turner? That's not it. Anyway. Not King Cole sang it. It's called Nature Boy. It's really, really good. Uh, David Bowie also did a rendition of it for the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Random knowledge that I have for you guys. But I recognize it anywhere. And I could hear it playing in the background when Tobias is fully slapping the shit out of Khalil for the first five minutes out of the episode. I know there was probably a lesson in there. It probably was a lesson of like, he tells him, expect the unexpected. There's consequences to your, to your actions. But mostly I think he's just mad that Cyanide's dead. Like, and he blames Khalil because... Who knows? Was Khalil supposed to be with her? I don't even know. But he's just mad and taking it out on Khalil. And that's how we start the episode. We also see him tying up loose ends around the people that were associated with Jefferson's father's murder. And I'm a little confused as to why he's tying these loose ends up right now. Like you see him go visit an old pal of his who apparently helped rough up the reporter. He's an older man. He's dealing with some health issues. But otherwise, he's glad to see his old boss. And then he realizes his old boss is there to take him out. And he's like, I mean, I don't agree, but I understand kind of situation. And then he fully kills a cop that's on his payroll. Like, it's not established if this cop was there when he took down (laughs) the reporter or not. But sure. And that's pretty much it. That's all we get out of Tobias. Um, At the very, very end of the episode, we did get the My Captain Oh, Captain, my Captain speech uh, (laughs) from Jefferson, which was nice. It was nice to see uh, the full circle. So basically, as he's giving the speech to the kids and the families that he's stepping down as principal and feeling super sad about it, you get one of the kids stand, uh, one of the kids takes it upon themselves to stand up and remind him of his motto, which is a very long speech about basically realizing where you are, dealing with your present and moving forward from that, like essentially. It's a really weird speech that he gives them, but it works and it kind of rhymes and it, it feels good. So, but they give, they give him that speech and he kind of, instead of, it's a, it's a call and response type of speech. So usually it's him getting the kids to do it, but instead the kids are doing it to him, which was cute. 
But who knows? Who knows? But otherwise, good episode. Good episode of Black Lightning. Can't wait to watch the next episode, even though it is called Master <laughs> Master Lowry. Oh, show. Oh, show. What are we doing with this? So we'll see. We'll see what else is going to happen from that. I'm going to keep it going with the DC TV that came out this week and talk about The Flash right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about ForAllNerds.com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor, or was a contributor, to a lovely podcast slash pop culture media sensation called FanBros.com. They've recently gone through a name change because... This one's just better, and it is called ForAllNerds.com. They are still doing the podcast, also under the For All Nerds name. So you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title. So I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for ForAllNerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it. go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns, and I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out ForAllNerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color because, yes, all of the things and whatnot. All right, so The Flash also came on this week. The Flash is being The Flash. It's still a good show, but it's also slowing down in tempo. Like, we have a lot of characters. We've got Dibney, we've got Caitlin, we've got Cisco, we've got Barry and Iris. We have their daughter, Nora. We've got uh, Iris's dad, who I can't remember his name at all. And his wife, Cecile. What is it? Uh, John? What is it? I don't know what his name is. But anyway, we're dealing with all of that. And then also, the bad guy of the week, who may or may not be Chris Klein. So, a lot of things are happening on The Flash. And go ahead and break it down into these little chapters. We get a storyline between Barry, Iris, and Nora. We've got a storyline with Dibney, Cisco, and Caitlin. And then we've got the bad guy narrative that's happening as well. Like, it's really... It's really confusing and a little strange, but but yes, so that's happening. Um, Barry, Nora, Iris, we're dealing with them trying to figure out how to deal with a future daughter that's, that's chilling here. Nora is all up under Barry, all up under Barry. And it's established from the first episode into this one that it's because he's been gone. He's been missing. So they're looking at the old newspaper clipping, not even a clipping, it's a digital rendition of uh, him being lost or gone. That's, that's a nice little callback for, to the first season where you know they went to the secret room where Gideon is and see that in the future, at some point, he just disappears. He's just gone. And it's a byline written by Iris. So, so they knew at some point in the future that's what, that's what was happening. But to have somebody from the future be just right there and just like, yes, and this is happening right now. Also, Nora's relationship with Iris is strained. Like, she's barely talking to Iris. Uh, Meanwhile, she's trying everything in her power to spend as much time 
with Barry. And Iris is, is trying not to feel a way about it, but she absolutely feels a way about it. And I like how they're handling it with Iris right now. Like she could be doing the most right now and just like really, really harping on the fact that Nora is not giving her the same attention that she's giving Barry. But she's kind of trying to be level-headed about it. Like she's like, I understand why. And I can see, like, you know, if I was in her shoes, I'd probably be doing the same thing. I'm going to try to give her the space, but at the same time, balancing, like, the fact that she wants to know why it's the way it is right now. So you see that kind of going back and forth. Um, Meanwhile, Iris randomly is now still doing reporting. Was she doing report? She wasn't doing reporting at all in the last season. She started her blog back up, but that's pretty much it. So is this reporting for her blog? And she still doesn't have her journalist job? I don't know. For whatever reason, she's now on the scene and she's getting all kinds of quotes and trying to figure out what's going on. It's happening. It's happening all over the place. Um, and then, I'm trying to see what the name of this person is. We also get Cecile and um, whatever the dad's name is. I'm going to have to look it up because it's going to drive me crazy. And of course, it's not going to help me. Of course not. Come on, show nothing nothing okay well whatever his name is so what is his name it's gonna drive me crazy anyway iris's dad and cecile uh cecile feels like her powers knows that her powers are starting to fade they're going in and out they're not as stable as they had been and they were her true connection to her daughter and she's kind of feeling lost without them like she's having a daughter at an older age and she's already freaked out about a lot of things, but she was really hoping, like having this edge, being able to read minds, was going to be a way for her to, to ease into this motherhood. Uh, and it's going away. And the whole time, her husband's looking at her like he's crazy. Like <laughs> like, she, like she's making a mountain out of a molehill. I didn't agree with that, but I understood where they were going with this and that, you know, Cecile doesn't have to rely on her ability to be a good mother, yada, yada, yada speech. It's real short. She even goes and gets tech from, um, I remember no one's name. She went and got tech to try to get her, what's his name? H-R-H? Nope, I don't, you know what, I'm going to play like I remember his name. But she was trying to get tech to find a loophole to get the mind, you know, try and read her child's mind. And of course, Joe, there it is, it came to me. It was slow, but it got there. Joe was like, no, we're not, we're not hooking our baby up to all of this just so you can read her mind. It's not needed. She's an infant. We're going to figure this out. Like we're going to, we've done it before. We'll figure it out. It's, it's not as bad as you think. And by the end of the episode, Cecile kind of comes around and is like, you're right. We'll figure it out together. I'll calm it down. And that's pretty much it for the two of them. Uh, we also have the Cisco, Caitlin Dibney situation. Dibney is doing his best private eye detective stuff and trying to figure out more about Caitlin's father who may or may not be dead because they found out the death certificate is completely fake. Uh, But Caitlin does not want to go into it. And I kind of like how they handled it, but not really. Like, so they try to take it from the perspective of her diving into Cisco's worries because he is connected to Gypsy. Even though they broke up uh, because they're both... What are they calling them? Are they open portals and stuff? I forget what we're... Vibing. Since they both vibe. 
and they've done it a lot together. They're kind of synced now. So randomly, he'll hear her voice or he'll smell her perfume or he'll straight up see her in like a vision. And it's, it is driving him crazy. It's he, the space he needs to get over her. It's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening at all. So Caitlin gets Dibney to help her get Cisco out of his funk and try to get over Gypsy. And that includes a very hilarious uh, step list that Dibney has created in true Dibney fashion. Like the first step is like swimming with sharks. Like it's really random. But some of it's good, which is kind of how the Dibney character won me over. He's crazy and over the top and then has these moments of sentimentality and just genuineness that win you over. And you get that in his list too which is cute. I love that towards the end of his list, he's like, if this person was supposed to be the love of your life, they would still be in your life. And I'm like, Dibney, oh, you're so cute. So we'll see. We'll see where that, or well, in my head, I'd already hugged him and Caitlin up. I don't know if that's gonna happen. That's the we'll see of that. So who knows? But basically they're children trying to help uh, Cisco get out of his funk. It works enough to distract him, but then he, he hits his point when they do his little you know, makeover, his outfit makeover, and he just basically looks like Dibney, but with Cisco hair. Cool. Having it tied back though, I didn't like, I didn't mind it. The half up, half down look, it wasn't bad. But they're like, okay, he's like, I'm ready to move on to something else. Let's figure out what's going on with Caitlyn's dad, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. When they go to do that, Caitlyn fully freaks out and tells him to stop and then disappears and they have the heart to heart conversation. And that's when she spills that, you know, she doesn't want to dive into finding out what was going on with the father that she had put on a pedestal. She had put this man on a pedestal and thought that he had been taken from her, but he may have voluntarily left and is still roaming around somewhere and just not caring about her. She doesn't have to face all of that. And that's fair. And Cisco is quick to remind her that like, hey, we're just here to get some answers. Whether or not this idiot is, 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 you know, purposefully trying to keep himself away from you you're owed some answers and that's all we're going to help you try to find. That's it. And she's like, great. And they have their little moment and they're just like, oh, and that, that's pretty much it for their side. Uh, they needed Cisco to be able to type into his vibe capability for the villain of the series, I want to say. I want to say it's the villain of the series, which is Cicada. Okay, this sounds like it should be an over-the-top villain. This is somebody who's got a jagged lightning-looking kind of knife that somehow drains people of either of their ability or just their energy. And then he's able to resurp that energy and kill them for some reason. So he did it to the guy that they were after who was basically trying to kill everybody on that plane. And then he does it against uh, the guys. He does it against Dibney and Vibe, everybody trying to come at him. He doesn't have, he doesn't stab them, but that that's knife, dagger, sword, whatever manages to strip them of a lot of their energy. It looks like energy. I wouldn't say powers just yet, but maybe energy. It looks like it. And he basically gets the upper hand on all of them and then stops when he sees Nora. Nora kind of comes into the fray and they lock eyes and then he wanders away and you hear cicada noises. I live in Maryland. Those noises are all over the place. You hear them all the summer long, super annoying. So I recognize that noise. I'm still trying to figure out how this relates to him as a super villain. I'm not familiar with Flash's villains at all. So I'm gonna have to do some research on why Cicada is even a thing. So, but it's played by Chris Klein. And here's why that's important. Chris Klein was a staple in a lot of teen movies. 
from the late 90s into the early 2000s. He's known for American Pie. He did a romantic movie. I forget what it was called, but it was really random. And they tried to make it tragic. It was very walk-to-remember type-esque thing where he fell in love with a girl and she was sick and da-da-da-da and he learned so much more about life. And then he's kind of taken off little projects here and there. But um, I remember him as the first boyfriend of Katie Holmes. That's why he's important. So having him show up in the show and in the way he's showing up in the show, it's kind of like, what? The, what? What is, you exist? So no shade to Chris Klein, but I was just like, where is this coming from? To his credit though, he's doing a really good job with this villain. This villain is playing somebody who's very stoic. It kind of feels like the the villain from Supergirl and that he's doing this for the betterment of something. He's, he's the sole... Uh, bringer of justice for something he's definitely taking on that type of persona and so we don't know too too much about this character but uh yeah that's that's pretty much it that's pretty much it and then back to the the flash nora storyline nora is just doing too much she's doing so many things she's going way above and beyond what she's doing barry takes notice that she's trying too hard he talks to joe about it and joe is quick to remind him that he too had a moment in his life when he was trying super super hard and just kind of checks barry into realizing that this is it's serving a purpose so kind of take note of it and address it as you will and he does he takes up with nora and he's like you know you don't have to try this hard like <laughs> we we're gonna be working together for a little bit here so you don't have to do all of this and she's like, okay, yeah, I got it. And then we're left with her basically naming the supervillain. She's like, you know, and he was making this, or Iris points out that the villain was making this weird noise. And she's like, like a cicada. And she's got this look on her face like, ah, oh, shit, I know more than I'm telling you. And I'm trying not to tell you more in the next episode. So, I mean, it was an okay episode. It, but there wasn't a lot action-wise that was happening. A lot of it was just like, kind of checking in with everybody and how they feel about certain things right now and that's really it so i'm hoping in the third episode we're gonna get a little bit more action a little more knowledge on what's happening with cicada how nora is tied to cicada because she's definitely tied to him somehow and what that means and hopefully more answers for caitlin like what the hell is happening with her dad like what what does this mean what about Frost? Like Killer Frost still is still in the, the gray area somewhere. They still haven't been able to get back to Killer Frost at, at all. And with that reveal that Killer Frost was a part of her as a child. So like, come on guys, let's, let's, let's pick up the pace a little bit. Let's get some more answers. I understand you feel like you probably have 22 episodes to spread this out. That's one of the things that I am not a fan of, especially with Flash the way they string out and pace their stories. It, it was that way in the last season. It was like that in the season before. Pacing with Flash isn't always great. Like you'll have moments where it feels fantastic and they're just going boom, 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 boom. But then you get these long stretches where nothing's happening. It feels like they're just treading water because they have to make use of all of these episodes. So I'm hoping the pacing's a little more even. I wouldn't even mind a few more standalone episodes. I'm not averse to that i would love a dibney special a caitlin special a cisco special I, I wouldn't mind it at all so we'll see we'll see how that works um i'm kind of surprised we don't have a wells yet right now but we're probably going to get a wells at some point but yeah short and sweet so that's the flash i'm going to be moving on into the gifted right after this 
Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, the gifted. Oh, the gifted. So if you've been listening, you know I've got like a love-hate situation happening with the gifted. I want to love it. I want to love this show. It's about X-Men. I love X-Men. They're the reason I got into geekiness in the first place. But man, are they making it hard to love you. Why won't you let me love you? So, the gifted. Here we go. Um, Basically, we've got like a Von Strucker kind of storyline dealing with the mom and dad and the sister and the brother. That whole dynamic. We've also got like a John and um, what's her face? Blink, basically. A uh, Clarissa kind of situation happening there kind of marcos factors into it a little bit not by much um but yeah it's mainly focused on we've got to stop this hellfire 2.0 squad we need to get polaris and andy back also we're in some side of sort of mental asylum uh, for mutants so jump into the episode uh the von struckers are straight up villains i don't i I, okay, so they just have never sat well with me at all. Even in the first season when we got introduced to them, we're getting our perspective from them. They just come across as this hugely privileged family who haven't had to deal with a lot of adversity and now they've got to deal with it. And they're just like, how is this happening to us constantly? Just like, why? But why? Yada, yada, yada. Why is the world like this? Even though they've also had strategic involvement in making the world the way it is the father was literally a prosecutor to put mutants away regardless of what they actually did he just wanted them gone like open hatred and now they're dealing with the repercussions of that and they're also mutants so it's i don't i don't feel sorry for anybody and i think we're supposed to but i don't feel sorry for any of the monsters so they're kind of coming into a crisis because they need to get andy the mother has been insane about getting, about getting Andy. And she just feels like her husband is not on board with her. Like no one else gets the importance of her getting her son because white woman privilege. So they tried to sell it like this is a mother and, you know, for her child. Granted, if this was anybody, any character, regardless of, of, of race or privilege, it absolutely would be about the mother and her child, but I just can't dig up the empathy to feel for her right now. Like I'm just, all I'm seeing is a whiny white woman being told she can't get the last, you know, shoe somewhere. And she's just like, this is ridiculous. You need to call the manager. Like those are the vibes I'm getting. I'm not getting somebody who genuinely was a victim. I'm getting somebody who is selfishly acting out, not caring about the consequences or anybody else around them. That's what I'm getting from all of this drama of trying to get Andy. So it's very hard for me to feel for her. And it's that bad feeling, unfortunately, definitely gets expanded by their actions throughout this entire episode. So you got the Von Struckers trying to figure out a way to get to Andy. You've got 
the father who is just he's kind of going through it his powers are coming back like he just let his wife know that this is a factor he's scared to death for having powers he's probably dealing with some inner prejudice about being a mutant even though his kids are and he's been around them that there's these are the people that have helped him survive for this long after everything went to shit but i i'm, I'm certain that he's also still dealing with the prejudice of literally being the something that he's hated for so long. So, which is what makes his arc interesting, but also villain. So he's trying his best to, to stop his powers from happening. And you see him trying to grab John and he's just like, how do I stop them from happening? And John's like, that's not the question you need to ask. (laughs) You need to ask like, what kind of help can I have so that I know how to control them? Or how can I learn to accept them? Like they're a part of you. There's not a switch you can turn off and on. Granted, given his history, he's like, there's absolutely a switch. Like that <laughs> my dad, that was the purpose of my dad's work was to find this switch. But then another person could argue that this switch didn't exist. It didn't work. So there's that. Um, but yeah, so they're dealing with all of that. They get wind of... Oh, they figure out they needed to find somebody who can give them more information about what Hellfire 2.0 is doing so they can go save Polaris and Andy. And they decide to go get this kid, this hacker called Graf. He's the brother of Wired. M- mind you, remember, previous episode, they got Wired killed. So Wired had to do, was doing some work for them. And then when he finally came across the information for the Hellfire 2.0 club, he got scared. It was like, fuck this noise. You can have your money back. I'm not digging any deeper. But they were like, no, no, we gotta have it. And Caitlin threatened his life. And they were, he was like, fine, you can have this. I'm not looking at shit, cause I wanna keep my head. It didn't work though. So the Frost sisters came and found him and made him kill himself. So there was that. But Graf managed to make it out of there. So when he sees the Von Strecker family pop the hell up with Marcos and they're like, you need to work for us. He's like, fuck, I, the fuck I do. I don't have to do anything. The guy who played Graf killed it killed it killed it so they established that him and wired used to were heavy into drugs something called kick um and that's all they would do is like hack and just take this drug and like call it a day so you see him as like strung out he's like trying to figure out what to do but he and he starts shooting right away as (laughs) they try to come in he gets john and we see that john john is resilient he's not necessarily bulletproof but he is resilient so he can take a a shotgun spray close range to the chest survive it but it's still gonna hurt it's still gonna cut into his skin a little bit we get to see that happen but back to graph um (laughs) basically he had a whole moment in there where oh so they so they kidnap him and caitlin's trying to reason with him but the the statement she's given him aren't really helping her at all. She's like, you've got to help us because it's my son kind of deal. Like he's supposed to know what that means. And I just love that his comeback was like, I don't, I don't, who cares? Like he mocks her. He openly mocks her. He's just like, oh no, they've got your son. I don't fucking care. Like they they can eat your son for all I care. Like he does not care. I love that he is very vocal about not giving a shit about her family problems because he's trying to stay alive. But of course, it's not. so they threaten his life. Marcos, no, Marcos or John, somebody knocks him out and they kidnap him and bring him back to where they're staying. And then they're there 
and they're like, okay, what do, we need you to help us. And he's like, no, <laughs> you got my brother killed. I'm not doing shit. And they're like, you have to help us or we're going to start, you know, they threaten to kill him. They threaten to take his eyes out. And he's just like, you need me. So even if you killed me, that's not going to help you. If you take my eyes out, that's also not going to help you. I need them to see, to hack, to get all this stuff done. So I don't understand these threats. So then Caitlin kicks it up a notch and decides to bring pharmaceuticals into it. And she's like, I know you're a drug addict. And he's like, big whoopity do. Like, <laughs> but then she's like, you're going to help us. And I'm going to make you help us. And she purposefully strings him out. She dumps a bunch of pharmaceutical grade version of whatever this is. Oh, some kind of withdrawal medicine. So that he will like just be fiending for a fix. So that he will be just be reckless. She's hope she said she's needed in hospitals where in order to detox patients, they do this to kind of help detox them from whatever substance they're taking. Uh, but she's also seen like the negotiation tactics that these customers take on so that they can have something so that they can get their fix. And she's like, this is how we're going to get him to help us. We're going to make him basically go through harsh withdrawal systems so that he'll do anything for a fix. He'll figure out the information we need for Andy and then we'll be golden. And it, people start looking at her like she's crazy. Clarice is in the hallway with Marcos, just like listening to this dude scream for his life. And she's looking at him like, you monsters. But at the same time, she's also not doing shit. Like they, they all are giving each other the eye. They're all like, ooh, maybe we're taking it too far. But that's where it ends, like just their inner discussion. Nobody's actively stopping the Von Struckers from being crazy monsters. In the end, Caitlin gets her way. So she strings this dude out. He's like vomiting in trash cans. And then she's like, well, if I give you some kick, will you get these answers for us? And he's like, fucking what? <laughs> but he agrees to it. He's like, whatever, fine, yes, fine, sure, yeah. So she goes and gives him the kick and he gets juiced up and he's able to get all the information. He's able to track down the Hellfire 2.0 club. He's able to get cameras, basically eyes on where they are in the building. Uh, Team A leaves from the Mutant Underground to go get Polaris and Andy, face them in this mental ward hospital. Meanwhile, Von Struckers are with Graf trying to get more information. And Caitlin's just all about Andy. She's like, show me Andy, give me Andy, blah, 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 find it. And when he can't immediately produce her on her demands at all, she's threatening his life again. And she's just trying to fill him up with more drugs. She's just unhinged. And her husband sees this and he comments on it, but he doesn't stop it. And it's just a lot of that back and forth. But Graf gets the information that she needs. We see Andy. We see Polaris. We see the mutant, uh, yeah, mutant underground team go after her. John has a whole moment with Polaris where he's like trying to appeal to her. Doesn't work. Falls on deaf ears. She instead just creates a bigger distraction by letting all of the mutants out of their holes. I, something was going on over there. So they can get back to business. Turns out Hellfire 2.0 Club is just trying to get one mutant out of this asylum. A whole one. In the process, they do try to make it about like a civil rights message. Like they get uh, the Frost Girls go in on the the main doctor there. There's a whole message he gives, uh, a statement he gives to the public about how they were monsters and they were running tests on these mutants. And that's why the crazy stuff happened. Um, but yeah, they do all of that. You see uh, their Von Strucker daughter face off against her brother. And she also is not believing a damn word Marcos is saying. Marcos is like, Andy's lost. So just so you know that. <laughs> like, he's gone. He's lost. He's like, yes, Polaris is having her stuff. She's dealing with stuff, but I'm going to try to help her. But know that your brother, he's, he's gone. He's gone. And she's like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Nope. 
he's not. He's my brother, and I know it, and we have a feeling, and we've got a connection, and yada, yada, yada. So you see her face, Andy, and without hesitation, Andy takes her out. He knocks her the fuck out so they can get on and get on their way. The Von Struckers, meanwhile, also see all this going down. I don't think they see Andy's showdown with their daughter, but they see him, like, gleefully joining in the destruction of this building, just, like, hurting people left and right. He's smiling at it. The father notices this and points it out to Caitlin, but Caitlin's still in her stupor of like, no, he's my baby. We randomly got a flashback of like how she had a hard pregnancy with him. And I guess that was supposed to like explain why she's crazy right now. It didn't really. So we get all of that. Basically, this all leads to Graf basically uh, shutting down his body, giving up. So after getting put on a harsh withdrawal medication and then given the pharmaceutical grade version of the drug, he takes on a normal basis but at a crazy high dose his body finally overdoses and he passes out he's on the verge of death like john's over there or is his name john i'm calling everybody john i don't know if that's his name or not but papa von strucker's over there trying to will this guy back to life they got to try to get him back together and then caitlin's like well i'll just give him more drugs and then he's gonna figure <laughs> he's just gonna get more information for us and finally papa von strucker shakes his wife and it's just like we're, you're doing too much. There's, we can't save Andy. You saw what I saw. He was happy. He, he's fully committed to whatever hell he's doing with Hellfire 2.0. The Andy we're trying to save is not the Andy that we're seeing. So you need to let it go. And she like begrudgingly does. We know she's not going to let it go forever. But she, you see some truth finally dawn on her that, oh, maybe this is terrible. Maybe what I'm doing is monstrous. The All this episode did was really point out to me that the Von Struckers are monsters. They're monsters. They're villains. And I feel like we're watching them slowly become villains. Like that's, that's it. That's all we're seeing. So there's that. Yeah. We're do- I mean, and everybody else, again, is just getting like snippets of show. Just, just small snippets of show. Like they hinted again at Blink, uh, her agreement with, um, with Arg. Like what she may or may not be doing for him, whether she's acting as a spy or is waiting to get called on to do something for him. She still hasn't told John about this, but they they hinted like that's still something that's hanging over her head. That's it. That's it. We barely get anything else from people who are not Von Struckers. So show, I mean, okay, show. And now there's also going to be a break. So apparently they're taking a break for the World Series that's happening next week. And then we're, we'll see them return the week after that. So it's going to be a nice two weeks before we see anything. Normally, this is when it would drive me crazy and I'd be like, oh, I can't believe this, but I'm glad for the break. Like, the the pacing of this particular episode, good. The action in this particular episode, not bad. It wasn't terrible. The story progression in this episode, if the point of this episode was to make me hate the Von Struckers, then it was a good, it was a good episode. They did great with it. But if that wasn't the point of this, then I don't, I have no empathy for this family or the struggles they're going through right now, like at all like at all and I feel like we're not getting enough of the other characters that make up this show honestly like they get little side stories here and there and it goes straight to the back to the Von Struckers who I don't care about at all show show so that's how I'm gonna end this so that's how I'm gonna end this if you guys love this show let me know what it is about it that you really really like and maybe maybe there's something I'm missing they probably have led left tons of breadcrumbs for stuff coming up. Oh, I forgot about, what's his face? Uh, Agent Jace. What's his last name? Turner? Something? Joining the, yep, Turner. 
joining the purifiers we got a nice little side story with the purifiers so crazy behind jace is the cop slash agent uh who has been following them since the first season he blames all mutants for the death of his daughter it's to a point where it's become more than obsession it's like this is this is caitlin's future of being just a crazy person chasing nothing he's been trying to insert himself on a legal level for, for a lot of things that he does not need to be around and has been getting kicked out of constantly. But he's like, no, no, I'm right about this. I'm right about this. To the point where his wife finally left him. Like this, this storyline was actually pretty interesting. His wife is finally like, enough is enough. You're never going to stop this. You're, you're crazy. I need to distance myself from you because this is not healthy. This is not healthy. She pieces out. And then so he's like, feeling a little dejected but also still like we gotta kill these mutants and so like he gets headhunted so a cop from the precinct that he had visited before to like you know give his his services to to help stop the mutants uh calls him and basically invites him to join the purifiers i laughed out loud when he looked at this man and was like oh i'm not a bigot yeah yeah you are you are a bigot. You hate all mutants with no, no, no justifiable reason. So basically he's like, nah, man, I just love our country. <laughs> I, just, I just love humans. I just love humans. You know, people, people are saying that, you know, we're, we're prejudiced, but we're not. We just love humans kind of deal. And it, it's touching on the anti-immigrant uh, stories, you know, social awareness that's happening right now. And he's like, I'm just about us for us type of situation. Like, oh, dangerous words. But clearly, Jace is like, and I'm in. So like, (laughs) he's now going to join the purifiers. On the one hand, it's going to give us an insight into the purifiers. Because I've just been mentioning them as like these boogie monster type S characters who show up and chase after mutants and murder them. Basically, every hate group you can think of, usually like neo-Nazis, Ku Klux Klan type of situation. But they're just showing the heck up deciding that I'm going to kill somebody because they're different than me and moving on. So we see Jace kind of turn to that and that this is is like his next, this is his boss level, like becoming a purifier, boss level. I'm hoping that one of the few black people we got in the show is not gonna go full evil, but it's probably probably not gonna happen. I'm hoping he's gonna join the purifiers. I mean, and kind of see how crazy he is and have it be his wake up call that, oh yeah, yeah, no, I don't want everybody to burn. So, okay, maybe I need to peel it back. That's what I'm hoping is going to happen. But more than likely, this is probably just going to fuel his hatred. And he's just, hopefully, if anything, this will be the last season of him just being like, yes, I need to burn for burning's sake. So, but yeah, that's it. That's it for The Gifted. I'll be moving on to uh, American Horror Story Apocalypse right after this. All right, so American Horror Story Apocalypse, their latest episode dropped. It was a good episode. So it was the Return to Murder House episode. I was impressed. I, I mean, again, again, we're not, we don't have a lot of episodes left. We do not have a lot of episodes left for American Horror Story. Uh, there's only 10 episodes, guys, in the whole season for this show. Was it like that the last season too? Yeah, yeah they had about 11 episodes. So like, I just, okay, this is the sixth episode of the series. We only have four more episodes left. I'm still very interested in how they're going to tie all this together. They spent six episodes detailing who the major bad was for the season and why he's the bad for six episodes. That's what they've been doing. I will say, though, the Boy Wonder episode, so episode five, and Return to Murder House 
were good. Also, the return of Coven. It was a half win because we got the return of Coven, but then we got a whole lot of of, of behind the scenes story for Michael. Even more, I don't I don't know why we need so much story about Michael. It's just saying the same thing over and over again. Hey, do you know he's the Antichrist? Because he's the Antichrist. Like that's that's all we've been hearing. That's all that's been repeated in different ways for the last five episodes. So there you go. So welcome to we going we get oh return to murder house. It picks up with Beholden and Madison. Uh, trying to purchase Murder House and the reluctant realtor being like, okay, so we're nearly done. I just want to make sure you understand that 36 people were murdered in this house and we hold no liability. All right, you can sign right here. Them pretending to be a couple, hilarious. Like who who was buying that? No one could have bought that. But I also loved the, the brilliant, the brilliant lines we got from Bill Holden. <laughs> when, they're trying to, when they're trying to sell the realtor how excited they are to get this house. And he's just like, oh, yes, my wife can't just loves a farm style kitchen. Like just the randomness, the randomness that they talked about. Um, but basically, the whole point of this episode was for Beholden mostly to get final answers about Michael. Like, is he evil or is he good? Like, what exactly is happening? And this is on the heels of everything that happened in the previous episode with uh, the mysterious disappearance of his friend. Even though they never addressed, he knows his friend is missing. But whatever. Anyhow, that happening and Cordelia giving Madison this mission of like, we need to know the origins of Michael. Even though we have spent so many episodes talking about the origins of Michael. But whatever. Sure. We have to tie in Murder House somehow. So we return to Murder House. They go back and they have to do some spell work. One of the rules about Murder House the ghosts decide if they are going to be seen by the humans or not, but they need answers now. So they make their, they do the spell to um, basically unveil all of the ghosts so they can start rounding up interviews. I don't know how safe this was, but sure. So they don't really touch on the ramifications of just, you know, shaking awake the dead, but <laughs> we get some answers though, at the very least. So, um, one of the points was that we got a return of Jessica Lange's character, Constance Langdon. Constance was in the murder of the very first season. She played the very unstable mother of Tate. She was the living mom of several ghosts in that house because she used to live in that house um, and uh, was responsible for some of the ghosts in that house as well. But she always played like this 60s-esque type wife of like, yes, the most important thing a woman can ever be is a mother and a wife type of thing. But then she's also got this crazy streak where she's like, murder is fine as long as, as long as you have reason. I mean, it's fine. Like that, like her clear acceptance that her son, Tate, was a full-on murderer. She was like, well, I mean, kids are going to be kids. So, you know, he was just misunderstood. Like uh, the fact that she killed a few of her kids herself because she felt like, oh yeah, no, they can't. They're monsters, so I'm not gonna be embarrassed by them. Like she's done some crazy stuff. So we get her as a standalone. Um, she's the main interviewee that Beholden and Madison managed to land to get more information about Michael. And of course she knows the most because she did take the baby after the baby was born. Or should I say ripped from, from oh, that poor woman. So from Connie Britton's character. So... You know, there's that. Okay. So she tells the whole story. We get the whole story about Michael. Basically, uh, he is the product of all the evil in that house and Connie Britton's character. And 
him growing up was problematic. He was a little baby and he was killing animals, small, small flies at first, which then graduated to rodents and cats. And then it graduated to full bodies. He also is a child who made it to like age in the show. It looked like he made it to age like three or four and then just boom was an 18 year old. But she says 10 years. So we're supposed to believe that he grew up until about eight and then boom, 18 year old. So overnight overnight and then she was like i mean it was alarming but you know so i thought i thought maybe i should check on him and so she she said apparently she sent a prince a prince a priest to go talk with him and of course he killed this priest and she was like "Ooh, okay yeah now this is a problem but it still wasn't a major problem for her until he tried to kill her so there's a whole part where michael basically is like you're not gonna tell me what to do anymore and is hovered over her at night while she's trying to sleep and then tries to choke her and then stops and then cries. And then she was like, I mean, but he's my grandbaby. But apparently she reached the point where she was like, nope, he's going to be a murderous monster and I don't want to be here when it happens. So she makes her way over to murder house, sets up a very lovely way to commit suicide for herself. She puts on music. She dances drunkenly. She mixes a bunch of pills together, takes her own life. Meanwhile, Michael finds her at the house, starts crying immediately, and then randomly strikes up a relationship with um, the main ghost in the house. I'm going to say his name was Ben. Ben, he's a psychologist from the first season, and he's like, ooh, you know, I couldn't help but, you know, kind of be drawn to this kid and kind of see him as my son. His wife did birth him, so there's that. And you see like their relationship growing and then quickly souring pretty fast. Michael is still murdering people. He's murdering people, but then they see him not only murder people, but also obliterate their souls. And they're like, ooh, yeah, he's a monster. Meanwhile, the whole time, Tate is like seeing Michael for what he really is. And he's like, you stay the heck away from me. You're not of me. Yada, 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 boom, 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 blah, blah, blah. Even though Tate's the reason that Michael's here right now. So Tate if you don't remember from the first season, uh, was somebody who was freely murdering people when he was alive. And then he died in the house. I wanna say it was police standoff. I wanna say it was police standoff. But he died in the house. And then as a ghost, he was still murdering people. I'm like, so <laughs> not only was he murdering people, but uh, he also impregnated his girlfriend's mom and uh, burned people alive in the house. He's responsible for the death of, the, of his girlfriend's entire family. So. There's that. Um, but I mean, the, the show kind of twisted into like a, well, he also was a victim type of thing. Like they're like, oh, well the evil of the house, you know, they needed, it needed a body or it needed a way to make him make itself an embodiment of something. So it chose Tate. Like that's how they tried to, to change that conversation of like, well, Tate's not that bad. He just happened to be the tool the house used to get what it needed done. Like that's how they, explained a lot of this away. I didn't like this cleanup, but okay. And then they also randomly got Madison caring about the romantic relationship between two ghosts. Why? Why would she care? They're dead. Anyway, it was very out of character for Madison. And I mean, they try to point it out with Beholden being like, oh, you know, I thought you were all narcissism and snark, but here you go with, with your romantic 
endeavors and she's like whatever i just feel for them like why why do you why do you care <laughs> why do you care i feel like this is more of a shout out to the fans of the first season listen if you have a tumblr at all if you had a tumblr or just were on the internet at all when this first season was going down there were a lot of shout outs to the romantic relationship between violet and tate a lot problematic as fuck but they the fans were there the stands were there they wanted these two to get a happy ending of some sort and in this episode they get it violet basically finally accepts tate's apology and they stare morosely at each other by the end of the episode i have a few qualms with that um other than finally getting the answers and chablis or, or well beholden chablis finally realizing that's right michael is evil evil incarnate okay let's go uh, and both witches surviving. Fantastic. I feel like taking all of the consequences away of what Tate has done changes how that first season went. Like that, the whole twist, the excitement of that first season was that he was this twisted, crazy kid who seemed like he was such a vulnerable teen, who seemed like an easily approachable, relatable kid. But, and now we find out that, yeah, he's all of those things. There was never anything evil about him, apparently. It was just the house. I don't, for me, it takes a lot of this thing away from the show. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it, if, if, I don't say it ruins the first season, but it, it, it takes away a lot of the edge of that first season. So I wasn't a fan of like, yes, let us also tie up these loose ends. Um, by getting everybody back with each other. Even uh, Ben and his wife, like that whole, I mean, they all died. But the whole the whole part that I really liked about that struggle was like as as meaningful or as, as much as he meant well, he fucked up a lot. And I loved that Connie Britton's character, even, if, even after having gone through so much shit, so much stuff for his ass was, was, strong enough to realize this is not gonna work. This is not healthy. I couldn't do it when we were living, but I'm sure as hell gonna do it now that we're dead. But instead, the show is like, ah, no, just kidding. Everybody's gonna figure it out and I'll just get over it and be fine. Cool. I mean, it's it's nice if you that's what you wanted. If you really wanted the couples to get back together, you got it. But for me, I was like, Ugh. okay, well, well, the couples are back together. So yeah, so that, I mean, and that again, we got a whole episode about Michael, another whole episode about Michael. It was still good. The pacing on this was good. Uh, the way they told the story did not have me rolling my eyes as much. It was nice to see some familiar faces, get some closure, like the Moira Kelly character. She was one of my favorite characters from the first season. I just felt like this poor, this poor girl got the short end of the stick. Like she, she fell for the wrong person. She got trapped in this house by a petty wench. Like there's, <laughs> like there was a lot of stuff that was happening, and now she got her freedom. So that was sweet. But otherwise, I don't. We don't need all these episodes about Michael. I feel like we explained it all. In in the beginning of the season we didn't we know he's the antichrist we know he was raised by somebody else we didn't need a full episode to explain why he was raised by somebody else i, I mean clearly this was to showcase jessica lane's returning because she had taken a she had been a staple of american horror story for a long time she took a few seasons off i don't think she was in, yeah she wasn't in hotel and she wasn't in roanoke and she wasn't in cult so that's three 
So she took three seasons off and then, you know, saying that she was retired. And now she came back for this, the standalone episode. So, I mean, that was lovely. And she was a huge chunk of it. But I don't think we need all of this. I swear that if we get into episode seven and it's like, and also previously on the Michael is the Antichrist show, uh, we need to start moving forward. There's only 10 episodes in the show. There's only 10 episodes in the show. We need to start moving forward. We need to start getting into some kind of resolutions for things. Please, that would be great. The promo looks promising. The promo for the next season, or next season, next episode looks promising. You see the witches finally getting together and being like, shitting the fan. This, this, this new Supreme is evil. We fucked up. How are we fixing this? You also see Dinah show up buying juice. She was one of the witches they brought back. Mind you, this is all in the past tense still. We're still getting a lot of previously on. So, Currently, Dinah is still standing in that room, the former Warlock school, with Coco and Mallory staring at Cordelia, trying to remember, trying to figure out why they were spelled in the first place, and now what the hell they're supposed to do with a fully powered Michael. That's still happening. So, but we're gonna get an, another flashback of uh, Dinah pre- previously. She's speaking with an accent. She's a Voodoo priestess at this point in the little promo. We see Papa Legba show up. Papa Legba is from the third season. She's, he's from Coven. He's the one that Marie Laveau made a deal with so that she could be immortal. He's the same person Fiona tried to make a deal with, but he realized she had no soul, so she had nothing to gain. Uh, he played a big precedence for a lot of the, the witches and Voodoo's and Voodoo people, uh, practitioners there and he's gonna show back up and I, I don't know if he's gonna make a deal with cordelia or what or try to tempt her maybe try to tempt her we'll see because cordelia is fading that's the other thing that they that they established we're also seeing uh some some faces we've never seen around coven before including uh what looks to be like that hairdresser's grandmother she's back with white hair so i'm wondering if she was a witch that they also spelled or if she's playing a different character because they've been doing that. But yeah, the next, the promo for the next episode looks good. It looks like the witches and the warlocks are finally getting on the same page and they're like, we need to do something. But it's probably, it's clearly gonna be something that's too little too late. Because we already saw the future and Michael already has dawned the apocalypse. So, and none of those warlocks are around. At least not in, not in the building, not in that school building at all. So clearly whatever they do, it's not successful. But whatever, I'm hoping we're gonna get a little more momentum. This is gonna be the seventh episode. And then we're only gonna have three more episodes before everything's done. Come on, Mer- come on show, come on show. But that's it. That's it for American Horror Story Apocalypse. I will be moving on to talk about Titans, the DC streaming, uh, streaming show, Titans, right after this. All right, DC's Titans, another episode dropped and okay so i wasn't hugely positive about the first episode that dropped for titans because it was a mess y'all it was a mess understandably they had to establish a lot of characters and a lot of backstory in a short time i just don't think they did it well i don't think the pacing of that first episode was done well uh it feels even though this is from dc itself it feels like it's being written for people who don't know anything (laughs) like I would think this being on a streaming service devoted to the DC comic house itself 
they would give their viewership the benefit of the doubt of knowing who the hell these people are, I would hope. I am not a fan of this Rachel slash Raven storyline. I'm really not. I understand there's probably a comic book precedence, precedence to this of her discovering her ability, where it's actually coming from, and how to control that. I'm sure there is. My introductions to Raven was her already at close to full power. Her knowing her abilities and knowing how to control them and just dealing with some daddy issues. Like that's the Raven I know. So this Rachel chick and her moodiness and lostness, I have very little patience for because I don't understand why, why we need her to be like this for this story. I don't, I don't get that. That aside, um, otherwise, episode pretty good. Episode, this second episode actually moved on a faster clip. We got introduced to Dove and Hawk, which are characters that I'm not very familiar with at all. Um, but also apparently don't need to know that much at all. So here we go. So we get, it starts off with Dove and Hawk and you get Dove being captured by some bad guys. I will say what I loved about, about this world that they're creating, they're superheroes as, as much as DC likes to make them godlike, that's where it ends. They are godlike. So you've got Dove who is trying to fight crime. He's a vigilante, but he's a regular old human. And he is dealing with it. Uh, not only is he caught by these bad guys, but even after he gets saved by his counterpart, Hawk, he's dealing with the real life ramifications of being somebody who's constantly throwing their body into this type of work. He needs a new hip, apparently. He has like a disc that is about to rupture or has ruptured. He is dealing with concussions and just a lot of wear and tear on his body. There's a whole scene where he's trying to perf- sexually perform. Well, with his girl and it, it doesn't work. It, she's, she attributes it to, to, you know, stress. It could be because his body is dying. So, I mean, like they're showing real life ramifications of somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just going to throw myself into fists on a regular basis and be fine. I'll be hundred percent. Okay. No, no bodies have limits. Bodies have limits. So, but we get to see that they have a little bit of history with Robin. So apparently they knew Robin way back when and it's been, a nice long span of time since they talked to him. They also quickly established that their relationship with Robin is messy. It is messy. We get a whole scene where Raven goes to shake Hawk's hand. Yeah, Hawk's hand. And realizes, oh, they used to, used to fuck. They used, they used to get down. There was a whole steamy scene of like them together with no clothes. And it's like, oh, so there's romantic history here. And you see it immediately when when Dove comes in and sees Dick Grayson and is just like this fucker so we got all that um but basically they're picking it up with Dick on the run with Rachel because we're not calling her Raven yet for some reason and um not not being able to trust anybody at the precinct so they can't trust a cop because the cop is the person that took her in the first episode and he goes to Dove and Hawk because they're people he can trust until he can figure out what to do with her. His plan is to dump her there, though, um, and then like, try to figure out something else, but like never come back. And <laughs> when a Hawk gets, here is his plan. She's like, no, <laughs> like you're dumb. Nope, no, we're not doing that. You can't just dump her here and then peace the hell out. We haven't talked in years and you're just going to dump this strange kid on us and just be like, okay, bye. No, no, you, no. Uh, We also get a story with Dove and Hawk where they're trying to get out of the game, but they need money to do so for whatever reason they want to move to Wisconsin. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, 
Okay. Um, and just, you know, basically kind of retire, live their lives. But they need to do this last job. It's always this last job to do it. So they're doing that. And then, um, yeah, they, they meet up with, with everybody. Oh, so they're going in more into depth about Raven and the murder she committed uh, against her attacker, uh, the guy who was trying to kidnap her. Uh, so basically, this, whatever her powers did, it basically sucked this dude dry. So he's like a human scarecrow right now. He's just just a burlap sack. And it's still alarming. And uh, Robin's partner is on the case to figure out what the hell's going on and where this chick went who was in our custody. And now no one knows where she is. Uh, they apparently also don't know that she's with Robin. So there's that. But she's like, I'm on the case. Uh, he's like, well, send me any information you got. You know, and I'll, as soon as I get back, I'll try to help you. And she's like, oh, good, great. No questions asked. Good. So she's doing that. Uh, also, we get introduced to what I thought was a sleeper family. But turns out, no, they're just assassins who are just waiting for the word go. We get introduced to a family who look like they were pulled out of a be like leave it to beaver episode like homeboy like father's in a cardigan all he was missing was a pipe he's sitting at the kitchen table with like the newspaper that's also a big giveaway who's reading the newspaper anyway that's happening the kids are playing monopoly and bickering the mom is dutifully cooking and she's in her full aussie and harriet garb it's really off-putting and really strange (laughs) And then they get a go-ahead. Somebody knocks on their door in the, early in the morning. And they showcase the kitchen. And you see on one of the kitchen cabinets, there's like this lock key that's on the cabinet. But no, but not, no one's talking about it. So he, so back to the door. So they get to the door. My father opens the door. And then this man in a suit is like, you're being activated. And then leaves. And then he goes back to the family. And he's like, family trip. And they get excited. And they immediately start packing stuff away. And he turns to that weird lock face on the cabinet, types in the key to get into it. Wife pulls out syringes. And she's like, who wants to go first? And both kids say me. I had to do my research on them because I was like, what the hell is this? Apparently, they are uh, a villain group known as the Nuclear Family that was out in the 80s for DC Comics. And they were just that. They were a family, mom, dad, some kids who all did villainous things just just killing people because sure as a family though so bringing it back uh but they were awesome they were awesome they were for me they were the standouts of this episode i i really liked that they they played this unnerving kind of off-putting pleasant family who were just really into murder just really into torturing and murdering people cool they go after the agent i'm I'm pretty sure she's dead. I'm pretty sure she's dead. They left it like ominous, but I think she's gone. So she's gone. Uh, they go after Raven. So they're sent to go get Raven and they do that. They find out where she's hiding. They know that she that she's at Dove and Hawk's place. You see them go after her. They quickly take down Robin. They throw Hawk off of the roof and they take down Dove. And it was just like, Wow. That was fast. That was really fast. And then, and that's how they ended it. Like, Hawk flew off the roof. Like, she's, she should be dead. She was at the top of a building, and she met the cement. You see Robin come to, he met, like, he, he too kind of flew off the roof, but he managed to hang on to the edge of the roof because, of course, he did. And he pulls himself up, 
and Dove comes to, he wakes up after being, getting a blow to the back of his head. And he also is trying to figure out what's going on. Raven's gone. Hawk is gone. You see Robin hauling ass to go get Hawk. She's on the ground, not looking good. She basically tells Robin she's dying. You're like, oh my God. And before that though, we also got the Raven breakdown where she realized Dick's whole plan was to leave her there. And we got the emotions and we got the angst of like, why is everybody leaving me? I don't have time for that storyline. Anyway, the important parts were we met <laughs> we met Dove and Hawk. Robin and Hawk got busy at some point and there might be some feelings left there. Uh, Dove for sure is definitely sore about that. I don't know if they were a couple when that went down or what, but he doesn't like Robin. Uh, and Robin's a jackass. There's that too. So as much as he wants to distance himself from Batman, he sure acts a lot, very Batman-ish, very Batman-ish. But you see him kind of realize I am acting kind of Batman-ish. I was going to dump this chick on a bunch of people, even though she begged me not to. So, I mean, I changed my mind, but I for sure was going to do it. So, <laughs> so you see that. But I mean, outside of that, that's pretty much it. I mean, we didn't get any Beast Boy or any Starfire, though. Like, none of that. And this is called Titans, which is, in my head, a spinoff of Teen Titans. So we're supposed to see them as a group at some point. Granted, this is the second episode, so for whatever reason, we need to string out them coming together as a group for some reason. Cool. But um, I'm just mad we can't str- we can't binge watch this. I, we literally have to wait week to week on a streaming platform to do this. This is why I didn't buy CBS Access, because I don't want to do this. I want to watch it all at the same time. But we can't always get what we want. So, But I mean, I will say at the very least, it's got me, it's got me to watch it on a regular basis. I'm in. I'm going to check it out again. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, short, short and sweet. I'm going to be moving into Daredevil because I haven't finished it yet. I've got like about three episodes in for its third season. I'm not going to lie. It's moving pretty slow for me. It's not moving super fast. So, I mean, at least you can binge watch this series. So I will say the return of Wilson Fisk is amazing right now. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is playing him. He's still amazing. He's still really, really good at playing these complicated villains. And I'm here for it. I'm here to watch all of it. Matt is doing a very good angsty teen. I mean, I understand he's dealing with like, they're trying to work in the Catholic guilt, you know, the survivor guilt, whatever other guilt you want to throw in there. I just don't care. I also don't know why Karen is so upset either. Like they're really trying to push this Karen is mad at Matt situation type of deal. And I, I, I mean, I, I get the looseness of it, of like, well, she thinks he's alive and he hasn't come forward. So she's mad about that. Uh, she didn't want him fighting in the first place and he did. And now he may or may not have died in that collapse from the defenders. I'm like, okay, sure. Maybe, maybe that. But then she also like, launched into the speech to him, I guess, which was a flashback of some sort, about how like he needs to be more responsible about his actions. But I was like, girl, aren't you the one who runs into stuff, runs into danger with no background on how to take care of yourself all the time? All the time. Not only that, but you had no problem with Frank Castle murdering his way down just, just openly from his show. So like, what the fuck? Anyway, 
I don't understand Karen right now. I do like the foggy stuff though. We're getting a lot more foggy stuff. He's really feeling guilty about the whole Matt situation and like uh, kind of helpless right now about what to do with Matt. I want to say when I left off, I think Matt had revealed himself as alive to Foggy. So Foggy knows at least that much. But we also got to see more about Foggy the man. So we got to see his family, a family of, of Irish people. It was lovely to see all of those people and his interactions with everybody. He's got a mom who's just like, you need to take over the store for your dad. Your dad's getting old. And <laughs> and Foggy being like, well, I am a, I am a lawyer, ma. So I can't, can't just stop being that. And she's like, sure you can. So like, <laughs> I did like that story. We got to see his brother. Good casting, by the way. Like you, he could very easily be related to all these white people. Good job, guys. So, but that, like his whole conversation with his brother and his brother being like, I knew this was never going to be your future. Like I wanted it to be, he's like, I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me that wanted you to also help take over the store. But, you know, you've never been on this path. You've always been on a path to be something else. So Go do that. Don't worry about this. I got it. Kind of deal. I liked it. I really, really liked it. So, so far, so good. The pacing is a little slow, but, you know, it's a 13 episode series. It's a Marvel series. Unfortunately, pacing is always uneven with these shows, but now that they're being canceled, willy, willy, nilly all over the place, that's no longer going to be a problem. So I'm going to enjoy it for what it is uh, and probably finish it by the end of this weekend. But that's pretty much going to be it. I haven't caught up yet on Doctor Who. I'm not going to talk about The Good Place because, uh, again, it's kind of just reiterating what it did in the first season. So not a whole lot happening there either. So we'll see. We'll see how everything else goes. But that's going to wrap it up for Kirby Geeky Fangirl. Um, I don't, I don't think I talked about the books. I managed to catch up on My Hero Academia and Vigilantes, which is their spinoff series. Uh, the books are good, though. The books are good. Uh, we got introduced to some new characters. Were they new characters? No, I think we just expanded on the characters we already knew. No, we did. Yes, I take it back. We got some new characters. We had to see some new lead professional heroes. A black hero got introduced in the My Hero Academia, the latest manga, or English translation, of the, of the manga, which I was excited about, because usually when you have a black anime character, they kind of lean heavy on a stereotype. And they're not doing that too much so far with this new character. So excited, excited about that. In Vigilantes, I don't know where we are in the timeline. I feel like we're in the past. I feel like we're in the past. The way the story looped around, and even though I talk about spoilers all the time, I don't want to spoil this reveal if you're reading it at all. But they introduced a character or gave the backstory to a character that, uh, we already met in My Hero Academia, but are meeting for the first time in Vigilantes, which makes me think that this Vigilantes book is taking place way earlier than I thought it had been taking place. So I might have to do some research on that. But other than that, both are great books. So check those out if you can. And yes, now that's going to be it. So that's it for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. If there's a show or a film you think I should check out, let me know. I also would love to hear your own commentary on the shows if you're also watching them as well, especially The Gifted. If you guys are loving The Gifted, please explain to me what I should be looking for. Or maybe it's something I'm not giving a chance. But not The Von Struckers. I am not giving them a chance. But if there's anything else in the show that you think I should like really take, take a second or third look at, I will. I'll do it. I'll check it out. You can reach me all over the place. Uh, you know I'm on Twitter as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Just take the A and the I on a fangirl. I will pop right up. I'm the most active there. I do have an Instagram. I barely post on it, but I got one. 
And every so often it gets active and then it goes back to being quiet. Um, over on curvygeekyfangirl.com. I'm also pretty active over on For All Nerds. You can see a bunch of my fandom fashions out there. There's a lot of DIYs or budget cosplay ideas up there written by yours truly. Halloween is approaching. If you want to get dressed up, maybe you go to work at a job like I do where you can't go full into Halloween, but maybe you can do some like under the under the cover type of cosplay. That sounded dirty. Maybe like... <laughs> everyday type of cosplay so it looks like you're adhering to dress code policy but also showing your love for snow white i mean i'm here for you it's out there it's on on my website and over at fall for all nerds so check it out and that's gonna be it i hope you guys have a great week bye